That's in the Old Testament. If you've got a, your own Bible, uh, turn there. If you've got a pew Bible, you can turn there. If you don't know where that is, hey, in the beginning of your scriptures, there is a table of contents. You can find it there, and you can turn to the book of Jonah. That's where we're going to be. I am not uh, going to have the scripture for Jonah on the screen. You're going to follow along in, in your Bible if you'd like to follow along, or you can just trust me. Uh, that's up to you. Um, we, I will have other scriptures on there as we go through this, but... Uh, as we talk about Jonah, this is such a famous and amazing story of Scripture. There, there's, there's even people who don't go to church um, who know this story of Jonah. It is, it is a um, sit-on-the-edge-of-your-seat kind of story almost all the way through it, right? Now, it's important for us to understand, and, and if, you, if you don't think this, I hope to convince you very quickly, uh, that Jonah is a historical account. It is real, it is true. Um, it is not like, you know, Greek mythology. I know there's a lot of folks out there that may say, being swallowed by a fish and living three days in there, you're, that's, you know, that's just kind of like, like that's, a, that's an old wives tale. That's a, that's a story. Well, you know, I think we're in really good company when we say, no, 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 it's a historical account of a real account that really took place. And, and you know who else thought that? Uh, well, Jesus did, okay? And so in Matthew 12, 39 through 41, which I think is on the screen there, I don't have my... I'll get my clicker. Um, so you can read that, because uh, I didn't want you flipping back and forth there, but uh, Matthew 12, 39 through 41 says, But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. So, real person, right? For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, yes, that really happened, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, real place, real people, will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And of course, he's speaking of himself. So as we talk about Jonah chapter 1, we're going to try to cover the whole chapter of Jonah this morning, chapter 1. Uh, it's really the story about a rebel. That's what Jonah is. Now, on the flip side, we, all, we also have to understand Jonah is a book of amazing rejoicing. It shows God's uh, love, his, his pursuit of even those who are disobedient to him. And it shows that our efforts as uh, evangelists are not determinative of our own uh, love for people even, or our own abilities even, uh, because as we see in Scripture, Jonah in one day was able to have a whole city turn to the Lord and it didn't take him very long. He just came in. He basically told him what was going to happen. He left, as we're going to see. And then God did all the work in their hearts. Amen? And so this is a wonderful story. This is an on-the-edge-of-your-seat story. But it's also, I, I believe, highly, it's a story that each of us can relate to. And I think in the text today, I hope we see ourselves. In fact, I know that I see myself. I trust that you'll see yourself. There's basically three characters in this first chapter. There's Jonah. There's the sailors. And then there's the fish. Now, we're not going to touch very much on the fish. And I'm going to cut the other one, and, and I'm going to say there's, there's the sailors, and there's the captain, and then there's Jonah. And so among all those, we'll see ourselves. But before we get into the text, before I uh, try to do my best to exposit God's word for us this morning, will you please join with me in prayer? Let's, let's pray together. God, our Father in heaven, it is our joy that we have gathered together. We ask that you would be with us now. God, I pray that as we look at Jonah, you would help us not to be just hearers, but that we would absorb your word, that you would have your way with us, that your spirit would work mightily upon 
this word in us. God, we thank you for this book, this book of Jonah. We pray that it would be a blessing to us and, and that we might glorify you as we go through it and that you might change us to be better imitators of Christ Jesus to this world around us. And God, I pray also for all of us who have gathered here together that you would help us to, to place on the back burner any things in our lives that are hindering us from listening to this right now and that we would just bring our whole selves before you. So Lord, prepare our hearts for your word. It's in your name we pray, amen. So if you're a note taker, I've got notes for you in the back. If you would like to be a note taker, you can get up now. You're not going to throw me off. You can go downstairs and there's not any more. So a lot of you are note takers. I will make more than 30 copies from now on uh, so that you won't be left out if you're a note taker. But today you're left out. So the first thing is charge. Um, that's the first thing we see in the text is that there is a charge that is given. And as I'm going to say in just a minute, I think there's a charge for us too. So uh, the first charge we see is God's word to Jonah. Jonah 1, 1 through 2 says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of uh, Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call it against it, for their evil has come up before me. So this is God's word to Jonah. Jonah was a seasoned prophet. You may not know this. You may have not heard about him outside of his own book that he's got here. But in 2 Kings, there's actually a mention of him uh, talking to one of the, one of the uh, kings of Israel at the time, or, or Judah, I can't remember uh, right now. This is when the, it had been split. And Jonah was prophesying for them. And so he's a seasoned prophet at this time. So this is not some guy in the backwoods of of Judah or Jerusalem there, who God's just showed up to this one time, and he's got this uh, amazing story, although this is an amazing story. Um, he is a seasoned prophet. He has heard the word of God before. Jonah's name actually means dove, and so in the context of this, we see the interesting play on words. God is sending a dove of peace to a people of wickedness. And we also see that this is called a great city. Now, it's great as far as it's grandeur. It is a large city, but it's also a great city as far as its numbers. It is a numerous city, but we also know if one thing is the case that it might be a great city, but our God is greater. Amen? And so it is estimated that Nineveh's population was over a million, which is pretty good for back then, okay? The last verse of the book of Jonah tells us that infants alone numbered 120,000. And he is given this word by the Lord, and he's told, you need to go and call out. You need to go preach against. You need to go and have an unfortunate word for these people. The reason is, is because it says, evil has come up before me. So this is this idea of a Sodom or a Babylon, right? This city is a city that practices wickedness. And I want you to see in the text that God still cares for this people, and if you're one of these people this morning that have, are guilt-ridden and you're, you barely made it here, I just want to tell you, for, for lack of the, I, I don't like always using politically correct terms, but this is a safe space. And the reason this is a safe space is because you're among other sinners. Church is not for perfect people. In fact, I saw a church one time before that said, no perfect people allowed. And I would say, amen to that. And so Jonah shows us in this book that he has recorded for us that these Ninevites, even though they are wicked, they are cared for by God. And in fact, what you may not know, unless you're a Bible scholar and know Bible history, and that's okay because that's what uh, I do for a living, right? Um, but the Assyrians, these Ninevites, they are Assyrians, and they will shortly be used to wipe 
Israel out. They are going to come in this divided kingdom. The Assyrians are going to capture half. The Babylonians are going to capture the other half. And so part of what I think Jonah doesn't want to go and talk to them about is because Jonah knows that God is a faithful God, that God is a loving God, that he's a forgiving God. Yes, God is a just God, absolutely. But he's also steadfast in love and kindness. And so Jonah knows that if he goes and preaches, he knows that God's going to save. And if God saves, he knows those Assyrians aren't going to be wiped off the map. And if those Assyrians aren't wiped off the map, that means that Israel is going to have to suffer at the hand of these Gentiles. And I don't think Jonah can stomach that. And so Jonah has this word from the Lord, and yet what he does is he flees. And that's what we're going to go to next. But before that, I want you to see this. This is no different than God's word to us, is it? The word of the Lord came to us. And so I want to ask you today, how are you going to respond? Because it is the case that God's word has come to us. God's word is coming to you right now through the book of Jonah, but also God's word has come to you through other places. If, if you uh, go to John, First John, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And so we know that as he continues to expand this, this word became flesh. And as we're getting ready for, and, and for me, for my mind, I'm always gearing towards certain things, right? You, as a pastor, you're gearing towards Easter, and then you have a little pause, and then you're gearing towards uh, Christmas, and then you have a pause, and then it's basically just Easter and Christmas, and we do our calendar around that, right? Um, not, not really, but uh, uh, in the beginning was the word, and as we know that, the, that this word become flesh is what we're about to celebrate soon in December, Jonah is a type of Christ. Now, as we're going to see, maybe not a very good type of Christ, and praise the Lord that we have a better Christ, Amen. But Jonah is a type of Christ. He is going to a wicked people to bring them to be reconciled in repentance to God. And he's bringing a message. But also, this word came to us, did it not? This word became flesh. In fact, some of us did not receive him, his own people. It said he came to his own people and they did not receive him, the Jews. They did not want Christ. Remember, he was... Jesus was going to Jerusalem to bring them a message of a dove, of peace, of reconciliation with God. The Messiah was here, and on his way down to crucifixion, you remember he looked over Israel and he wept over it. But they received him not. And so we have an even better preacher than Jonah that is the word that became flesh, who died on a cross for us, and his last departing words were this, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You're not flipping through my things back there, guys. They're depending on you. No, that's too late now. <laughs> so here's the point of this first point. Like Jonah, we too have a charge to go and tell a people like Nineveh. And you can him or haw if you want to, you can think that I've misused this text if you want to. But the fact is that Jonah was given a call by God. We are given a call by his better Jonah, by Christ. And he has told us that this is what we are to do. Now, truly, this missionary challenge of reaching the multitudes has assumed gigantic proportions. It, it has. In our day, the world population is exploding and continuing to explode. It's already past the 5 billion mark. Every year, 85 million people are added to that total. Every hour, about 10,000 people are added. Two-thirds of these will never have enough to eat. One-third will grow up in communist lands. 
and be indoctrinated with atheism. Three-fifths will never learn to read, and two-thirds will never hear the gospel. See, this charge has been given not from Jonah, but from Jesus. So that brings us to the next point, because really that means that we need to make a choice, and that's what Jonah did too. And I pray that uh, your choice is different and better than Jonah's. And if you know anything about the book of Jonah, you already know where this is going, but he makes a choice. Jonah decides to disobey. In Jonah 1.3, we see, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Are you noticing some repetition in the text right there? I hope you did. If not, read it again in your own text and mark down the repetition that you see, and there's a reason for that. So what Jonah did get up, absolutely. It says Jonah got up and he fled. He flees, Jesus weeps, so very different uh, messages to us. But Jonas, uh, Jonas, Jonah is disobedient. And Jesus is obedient to the point of death. And so, yes, Jonah is a pre-Christ figure, but we have the real Christ. We have a better figure. And I just want to show you on the map just so you can kind of understand the context of what's happening here, of what Jonah's doing. Okay, so if if anyone's watching online, uh, it's going to be hard for you to see. For you who are here uh, in real life, uh, I have a laser pointer and I can point to things to you. It still might be hard for you to see, but, but you'll understand why that is. So this is where he is at, okay? I will do you the justice of drawing on my little screen here. Here is where he came from. He goes down to Joppa. By the way, there's all kinds of ports along the way. Uh, Joppa is a good seafaring port. It's probably, uh, I think it was the, the Phoenicians that were sailors. The Israelites are historically known as a people of the land. They didn't sail much. So he is way outside of his comfort zone. He's way off the map. As you can see, He's from here. He's called to go to Nineveh. Do you see where that is? He needs to go over no water, except for maybe this, these rivers or whatever. He doesn't need to go anywhere out here at all, okay? So this is pure disobedience, and he's called to go to Nineveh. He goes down to Joppa. He takes a ship. Now, the artist has, has rendered this based on some kind of historical knowledge and stuff like that, and, 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 and that's fine. So the theory is, as this line, this red line comes up, Probably right here is where the storm and the fish and, and all that jazz. I, I, I don't know if I agree with that because it appears then it took three days and three nights for the fish to swim that far. And I just don't think that gives enough credit to the fish, right? Uh, so, so, so I don't know that for sure, but, but this is their theory. But, but I want to show you where Tarshish is too so we can get it just an idea of how far he's trying to run, okay? Now, you probably can't see it back there, but again, I've got my handy laser pointer. This is where he was. This is where he starts from. This is Tarshish. Do you see that? I mean, it's, it's like the guy couldn't have picked anything farther, basically. And so the dude was planning on going all the way across here. So I'm more of the camp that he got like somewhere in here and then the fish swallowed him and it took three days and three nights to come back and spit him back out wherever, wherever that was. But do you see how far it is? These are slides of travel, but they're also slides of travail. And it says in the text, he paid the fare, but I'm here to tell you, he didn't pay, or he, he, he had to pay a lot more than what he thought it was. Because anytime we run from the presence of the Lord, it costs something, not just our pocketbook. 
And, and furthermore, as, as a good Jew, he would know texts like this, Psalm 139, 4 through 10. E, and you guys are going to click in the back, right, as I read, okay. Uh, Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. We talked about this this morning, if you remember. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too, it is, it is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, your right hand shall hold me. So who was Jonah kidding? Well, he was kidding himself, just like we do. And so Cain was a marked man when he was disobedient, and so you better believe that Jonah also was a marked man. So if, if you look back now at Jonah 1, 3, it says that he rose and he fled to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Here's some of the repetition. He went down to Joppa to find the ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. And you see presence of the Lord, presence of the Lord, and Tarshish, Tarshish, and all those things. And so it's telling you basically that Jonah went downward. And I'm sorry to tell you that down is the only direction when we go away from God. We get down on ourselves because we have a wrong idea of who we are because we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are image bearers of Christ. My identity, our identity is in who God says that we are, not who the world says we are or a sheet of paper says we are or people on Twitter or Snapface and whatever. I know what they are. Y'all are crazy. We get down on ourselves. We get down on others. We don't love each other like we are supposed to. We get down on our luck. Now, I don't believe in luck, but what I mean is we feel down in the dumps. And that leads to despair. And over time, believe it or not, we go down to the grave, and then eventually, if we continue to run from God our whole lives, we unfortunately go down to hell. You see, Jonah illustrates something very clear that we need to understand when we make the choice to be disobedient to the Lord and his call on our lives, whatever that might be, in all the various purposes, the only place for us to go is down. And I don't want that for you. And the good news is, is the Lord doesn't want that for Jonah either. And so the Lord sent a fish for Jonah. But the Lord sent a, a Christ for you. But before the Christ, before the fish, there's chaos. Jonah 1.4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break apart. Uh, you need to see here that this is the Lord's pursuit. The Lord pursued Jonah. There is no doubt in the sovereign power of God. He controls the winds and the, and the, and the waves. Matthew eight twenty seven. and the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? You see, this is nothing new for the Lord. He spoke, and these things were. He said, let there be, and it was. And he saw that it was good. And so the one who spoke them into existence, do you think that he cannot control it? Psalm 77, 13 through 18. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeem your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. 
When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid and did the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. And so it's this idea of hurled, you're going to see, is this idea of a, a, a a well-tuned spear caster through this storm at Jonah for his disobedience. But this is not, in my opinion, the Lord punishing Jonah. Maybe, but I prefer to look at it as disciplining a child who he loves. You see, Hebrews 12, 6 says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. And so I think it speaks to God's relentless pursuit of those, even those who turn their back on him, that he in his love for Jonah sent a storm to Jonah for the purpose of bringing Jonah back. Now, the problem is the Lord is pursuing Jonah, and unfortunately, others are being caught up in the discipline of Jonah. And that is the case with us also. When the Lord pursues us, uh, old theologians called this the hound of heaven. And I love that. If you've ever heard of the story with Sherlock Holmes and the hound of the Baskervilles, it gives me that uh, mental image of this, this hound of heaven relentlessly on the trail of the scent of the sinner that God is desiring to bring back to himself. And, and so, but unfortunately for the sailors, they're just part of the story at this point. And so in verse five, then as we move forward, then the, 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 the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the, there's another hurling, right? So they're, they're hurling the cargo that was on the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship. There he is, he's down still, inner part of the ship and he had laid down and fallen fast asleep. And Theologians will have reasons for this. They'll say, oh, it's probably the waves and the winds, you know, rocked him to sleep. And I'm like, no, it was rocking him all right, bro. But I don't think that that's what it was. I think it was probably, if you've ever battled depression or sorrow in your own life, you know that there is a place of emotional exhaustion that you can reach. And I think that is probably why Jonah is down there sleeping. I think he has decided to disobey God, knows the weight and the gravity of that, knows what this means for him. And he has resigned himself, as we're going to see in just a moment, for God smiting him, although that's not God's plan. And so he is in deep despair in the bowels of this ship. But what we do see as the next thing is the Lord is pursuing, and we see at least that the sailors are praying. These seasoned sailors are now in fear. Again, if you're, a, if you're a bibliophile and you've read books like Robinson Crusoe, at the beginning of his voyages, he was told by mom and dad, hey, don't go to sea, just live here. He's like any young man. He says, well, I know better than you. He goes out to sea. He experiences his first uh, tumultuous sea voyage. And the other seamen are like, nah, it's cool. And then his next voyage, the other sailors are like, Pray to your God that he might rescue us, okay? And so these, remember, are seasoned sailors now. And it says that they were afraid. In fact, they were gripped by fear. Each cried out to their own God. They are doing everything they can paganly to deliver them. They are throwing cargo over. And and this was the whole point of their voyage. 
These were spices or silks or treasures, and they're there to make money. That's why they're doing this venture. And so they are saying, I care more about my life than I do about this stuff. And so they're, they're pitching it. But the problem is when we pray to false gods, that brings false hope. And false hope is no hope to, at all. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, are, are, are you one of these sailors or are you Jonah? Remember I said there was different characters in this story. We're either a Jonah or we're a sailor or sometimes we're both. They're praying to these false gods, think that they, things that they think will bring them hope, think that will bring them peace, things that they think will get them through the storm, and they couldn't be more wrong. They knew this wasn't an ordinary storm. They could tell that. And so in verse 6, as we continue down, it says, The captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God, perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. So this captain has no idea about Yahweh. He does not know that this man's a Hebrew yet. He will soon find out that. And he calls down to him. And look at the irony that this captain gives to him. He says, arise, the same thing that God said. And call out the same thing that God said. And ironically here, he's supposed to call to the very God of which he is currently in disobedience and flight from. And unfortunately, we see the next thing is that the prophet pauses. So where is this man of God in all of this? He is asleep at the wheel. He is down. And as the captain's words of irony call him to do the very thing that he is running from, he finds himself smack dab in the face of his disobedience. Jonah's lack of concern for Gentiles is staggering. He cares not for the Ninevites. We might could understand why, as they are Assyrians, and there was a prophecy about them coming and taking away Israelites. But why does he seem to be so lacking of concern for these sailors? They've done nothing wrong. These sailors, this captain, they knew that death was certain without help. Without help. Here's a quote that I want to read to you. It's a longish quote but I'm going to read it to you anyway. You're stuck. What a text for a sleeping church. Today's world is being torn apart by drugs, drink, immorality, apostasy, and the menace of nuclear war, and the church sleeps. False religions and wicked philosophies are making giant strides, and the church sleeps. Abortion, pornography, syndicated crime, sodomy, and dreadful diseases therein for all mankind, and the church sleeps. Friends, family, neighbors, and workmates grope in spiritual darkness, and the church sleeps. Two-thirds of the world's people will never hear the gospel, and the church sleeps. What a crime! A soldier caught sleeping on duty in a time of war faces a court-martial and possibly death because his sleep places other men in peril. Disobedience to God inevitably leads to frightful chaos for our life and in the life of others. Awake, O sleeper. Call on our God, perhaps he will hear. 
And so they move on from the chaos to the confrontation. Uh, they wake Jonah up, Jonah comes up, and then there's this confrontation they, they need to confront. And so I'm going to ask you, I want you to confront this week. I want you to pray for opportunities to share the gospel clearly, humbly, and yet boldly. I want you to confront by being clear in the gospel and its significance. I want you to go on the offensive on Monday. I want you to actively and regularly invite people to come to church with you where they will hear the word of God, whether that's this church or your own home church. That is the confrontation we should have. That's not the confrontation Jonah experienced, but in verse 7 it says that they said to one another, come, let us cast lots, that we may know whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lots fell to Jonah. I've, 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 I've got to tell you, um, as I read scriptures like this and I read others, I sort of, I wonder if we're missing out by not casting lots. No, I, I'm, I'm not really joking. Like, I'm, I'm serious. If, if, if we know and, and agree with Proverbs 16.33 that says that the lot is cast in the lap, but every decision is from the Lord, then why aren't we doing things like that more? Anyway, this is what Jonah experienced. He experiences a, a casting. And you would think on a boat we're talking about catching a fish, but he doesn't need a rod and reel for that. We'll see in, in a little bit. But Jonah has not prayed yet. He's not said a single thing. They're still casting lots to find out who is the evil that this has taken place from. He has not owned up. He has not repented. The sailors call it what it is. They call it evil. Not saying that what God is doing is evil. God does no evil. He does not sin. He does not cause people to sin. God is disciplining his child for the child's evil that he has perpetrated. And so the sovereignty of God is seen again in the casting of these lots. They come up Jonah, so to speak. And in 8 through 10, then we see this next part, which is, is his final, his confession. 8 through 10 says, they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What they, they fire these questions at him, and you can almost hear the sound of the waves and the wind as they're shouting over it, trying to get to the bottom of this before they get sucked down into the depths. Tell us whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where have you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? They are frantically searching. Give us something to hold on to so that we know why we're in this predicament. And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. The God of heaven. Now the word there in your text, I hope it's capital L-O-R-D. He is telling them the one true God of all things. The God above all gods, Yahweh. And it's interesting that he says, I fear the Lord. He says, I fear the, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid. Why? Because this is the real God. This is the true God. This is the big God. He is no puny idol. He is no work of mere imagination. He is no carving of some kind of structure. He is the God who spoke and it became. He is the God of both the sea and the land. He is the God that controls everything and everyone and will not be thwarted. And so they were exceedingly, they were gripped by fear. And so they say, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. But in their mind, that God's the same God as this little God that I have in my pocket. 
uh, you're fleeing from the presence of your God, and so that's fine. I, sometimes I flee from the presence of my God. When I don't want him to see things, I just turn him around on the shelf. So what we see here is he's finally starting to own up. But what you need to understand, beloved, is confession and repentance are not always the same thing. If you've ever dealt with a child, then you know that. And it's no different with adults. Johnny hits Susie. Johnny, tell Susie you're sorry. Sorry. That's confession, not repentance. There is a difference. He answers their questions. He does not answer to God. Ezekiel 33:11 says, "Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel?" What he should have said, a real confession would have been, I've been charged by the living God of the universe to deliver a message, and I was not going to do it. And the only way to make this storm stop is, Papa 180, boys, we're going back to Joppa. That's repentance. Instead, what he does is he says, yeah, I'm a Hebrew, I fear the Lord, and I'm leaving what he told me to do. He probably didn't even say that, I'm leaving what I told him to do. He just said, I'm, I'm fleeing from his presence. Which brings us finally, finally to a conviction that he has in 11 through 12. Then he said to them, what shall we do to you? They asked him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? What does your God require? How do we serve that God that we don't know? They asked this for the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, this is his conviction. Now, it's good to be a man of conviction. This is the wrong one. Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, that the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. So he has conviction, all right? Jonah is a man who is stubborn to the point of death. He's stubborn to the point of death now. He's stubborn to the point of death later when he gets mad. Any men in here a little stubborn? Any women in here a little stubborn? Hopefully not stubborn to the point of death. And it's great to have conviction over things, but brother, sister, this is the wrong conviction. The conviction he should have had was, I need to repent to a living and holy God. I need to go where God has told me to go. Instead, his conviction is, you know what? I'm not doing it even if it kills me. Throw me overboard, boys. This is where the ship ends. It could be because of stubbornness. It could be because of guilt. Maybe his guilt was beyond comprehension. Have you ever felt that way? You don't have to answer that. I, I know some of us have. Some of us have felt that our guilt is so deep that the only thing left for us is for us to lay down and die. You may not have said that out loud, but maybe that was your conviction. Maybe your conviction was, I am so guilty. It would be better for somebody to toss me out. Well, 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But verse 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so brother or sister, if that's you this morning, if you're here and you think to yourself, man, I, I do have a conviction. It's not that. My conviction is I am so guilty. How could God possibly love me? Well, I want you to tell, I, I want you to hear this morning that he loves you so much that he gave his only son for you. 
He loves you so much that if you merely confess your depravity before him, he is faithful and just to forgive you from your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Because we have a better Jonah. We have a Jesus. And that Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, come to me all who labor and who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. And so I hope that if you're under that conviction this morning, that it's a conviction of your need for a savior and not a conviction to cling to your sin. I pray that your conviction is that you need to repent from your sin, truly repent, not just confess, but repent and come to Jesus who will wipe you clean. We're going over, but you're stuck. So the next point is ceasing, which this sermon is not yet. Jonah 1.13 says, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. So Jonah might be ready to cease, but the sailors were not. But I hope you are. Because even though Jonah just told them, the Lord of the universe, the one who has commanded the sea and the land, those, that God, this is how you appease him, you throw me out. They said, no, 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 we're going to work a little harder. We think we can still do it because the way that we work with our idols is we can just outwork them. And so they heard the word, yet they did their own works. And brother, sister, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've heard the word and you say, no, 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 I'm just going to dig my oars in. Maybe I'm just going to row a little harder. And again, these are seasoned sailors. I can only imagine the calluses they had on their hands. They were no strangers to the oar. They were no strangers to the whip of the wind. These salty dogs were out there every single day making voyage from one to the other. They could slide down a rope barehanded, I'm sure, and never even gain a blister. And maybe that's you. Maybe you're so used to working that you don't even know how to put it down. These seasoned sailors, they wanted to get back to dry land. That's not what Jonah said. You want to do it your own way. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, come to me, all who are labor and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Romans 10.9 says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift from God. Which brings us to the next part there, which is 14 through 15. It says, Therefore they called out to the Lord. Now they're using the right name. Now in your Bibles it's capitalized. Now it's not just a God, a mini-God. Now it's the God. And I want you to see that this is wisdom. For us to finally stop our own works and call out to the living God, that's wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of insight, says Scripture, right? Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. We need to see our inability and call out to God. It is only when we cease from our works that we find peace in Christ. And, and there only is peace. The sailors needed someone to die in their place 
for there to be peace. And so did we. And God would spare Jonah and God would resurrect Christ. Psalm 6, 4, turn, O Lord, deliver my life, save me for the sake of your steadfast love. That's what they're crying out. So they do this. The waves cease. The waves and the storm cease because their works cease. They're now relying completely on the grace and the mercy of this mighty God, the one who saves. And so because they're finally doing that, their trouble ceases. And that brings me to the final point of today's message, which is instead of pursuing work, pursue worship. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. They made these vows and they kept these vows, I believe. How could you experience something like that and not be a man of God? John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Brother or sister, we have had a word from the Lord. We have a better word than the word of Jonah. The men of Nineveh are going to rise up and condemn Israel because they wanted a sign, and the sign that they got was the new Jonah, the perfect Jonah, the Christ, who is hidden in the ground, not hidden in a fish. And that Jonah, that, that Christ, gave us a word. That word that became flesh said, If you love me, Keep my commandments. Everything that looks like conversion is not conversion. It's not just mental assent. Real conversion goes beyond the day of belief. It goes to a lifestyle change. John 15, 15 through 17, when we are remade in Christ, this is what he says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you Friends, for all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask, the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. And so as we end, I just want to end with this. Unfortunately, all of us, like Jonah, from time to time live in rebellion. I don't know if you this morning find yourself more like Jonah, who has had a call that God has placed on your life that you are running from and you need to repent and go back, or if you're like a sailor and you need to stop doing your own works and just cling to the cross of Christ. But all of those things, I can tell you, wherever you're at, the answer to those things, he has given us a call, he has given us a charge from the word of God, And his relentless love over us will pursue us. So if you don't want to find yourself with the hound of hell nipping at your heels or in a boat with a storm surging, oh, for the love of God, my beloved sister or brother in Christ, turn to the Lord and follow his commands. For you are no longer a servant. You're a friend in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. God, our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this word of Jonah. We thank you for his ministry work and how even now, He is a witness and a testimony for you to your people. God, we pray that you would help us to not only hear this word of Jonah, but hear the bigger word of Christ who has come to die for us, who has come to take our place so that we might be free. 
Thank you, Lord, for your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to be ever better at serving and loving and obeying his commands. It's in his name and for your glory we pray. Amen. Let's stand.